Podcast, a bi-weekly book club podcast where I bring on two guests to read a book suggested by one of the guests. This week I am joined again by Gina Radcliffe and Aaron Ayers. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you. Good. Hi. <laughs> uh, this week we read Enter Night by Michael. Oh God, I did this last week too. Roe? Yeah. Or Rao? I'm pretty sure it's Roe. Roe. Uh, which is not the Metallica biography. Um, yeah, I actually, I actually made a note to mention not to be confused with the Metallica biography of the same name. I, I didn't realize the actual biography had the same name until I was on Goodreads earlier. <laughs> I definitely haven't stopped singing Enter Sandman. <laughs> I might actually need to uh, change the music for this week. Yeah, I've got that that opening <laughs> opening riff playing over and over in my head since, since uh, planning on doing this this episode. Uh, so why did you pick this book, Gina? Well, um, a couple months ago, an idea for a, a why did I pick it for you or why did I pick it just to read this? Uh, in general, all the reasons. Um, I was thinking about an, an idea for a screenplay hit me and then it occurred to me, well, I know nothing about writing screenplays, so maybe I should try to turn it into a book idea. And it was uh, just a general vampire story, um, kind of a... Uh, a take on you know, fear of aging, fear of female sexuality. And it occurred to me that I had not read a good vampire story in, in a <laughs> long time. I mean, without getting into the cliche at this point, bashing on Twilight, because I'll be honest with you, I've never actually read the Twilight books. And the, 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 you know, the, the constant ragging on them gets a little kind of played out at this point. But I know in researching what, what recent vampire books have come out a lot of them are you know it's all either very much like true blood or the laurel k hamilton books where they're all very they're they're kind of erotic or they're very you know, supernatural with like other you know otherworldly beings in it and i was like i just want a straight vampire story about ordinary people dealing with vampires so i just happened to come across, I think this might have come up on maybe page two or three of the, the search for under vampire books on uh, on Amazon. I had never heard of this book before, but I read the plot and I'm like, well, wow, that, that sounds a lot like Salem's Lot, which is one of probably, probably my favorite, certainly my favorite vampire novel, if not my favorite horror novel. So I was like, well, let me, let me give this a shot. You know, I, I'm... <laughs> I was a little, you know, I was I was cautiously optimistic, and I read it, and I probably got through it in a couple hours. It was really, really, I had not read a horror novel that really, you know, kept me on the proverbial edge of my seat. It was just, it was really, really well done. Yeah, I have to agree. This is uh, probably the first book for the podcast that I didn't finish the day of recording. I try really hard to kind of stretch it so that I don't end up forgetting anything. Um, but by the time I think I hit like halfway of this book, I came home and sat down and like powered through the rest of it. It was definitely the vampire novel that I have needed for a while because I did read the Twilight series and the True Blood series. Um, and I own uh, the other one. What is it? The Anita Blake right, series. Right. Um, not my cup of tea. I don't know why because I've read everything else. But I think I, I burned myself out on the, the True Blood series, um, which I enjoyed. Twilight, I did not as much. But yeah, Erin, um, is this something that you would normally pick up? Um, interestingly enough, yes. Um, and even more so once I actually picked it up because I 
very frequently read a lot of supernatural thrillers, um, and I've, I have also read a fair number of the True Blood novels. Uh, I I I noped out of it like. Yeah, don't finish it. <laughs> the most angry I have ever yeah. been is the fact that I have read that entire series all the way through, and I occasionally go and look at my good. It was the first Goodreads review I ever wrote. Um, of the, the very last book and how angry I was at how that series ended. I don't recommend it. Stop it like book seven when the fairies come. I think You're I good. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I stopped. I mean, the series, the HBO series, True Blood, was pretty entertaining yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, I think it took the right level of campiness and um, vampires, so campires. Um, <laughs> they kept Lafayette alive. That's what they did, right? right. Um, but this very much fits into the category of um, things that I write. I, despite being a pretty significant Stephen King mark, I've not actually read Salem's Lot. Um, I, it's it's weird. I haven't. Even, um, my it was one of two books my mom would not let me read under the age of eighteen. Oh. So for, it's for whatever legit, reason, it, it's legitimately scary. I, I try, yeah. I try, I try to read it every year around around Halloween, and I probably have read it well over ten times, and it still holds up. It's probably one of his straightest books. I mean, as far as you just a you know mapping out a plot, introducing these characters, not really having any sort of otherworldly element to it. It's very much just a visceral horror novel and it's it's genuinely scary it still freaks me out it's one of those don't read it if you're you know you're up late at night and no one else is around because you'll start hearing things and and i i highly recommend I mean, if you like this you'll 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 love that because there's definitely there's definitely a lot of elements that 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 roe I, I don't want to use the word lift it's not like he stole it I, i'm it is obvious that he read it and made this as a sort of homage to it. One of the one of the reviews of it said to basically described as Salem's Lot in Canada and, and I would say that's <laughs> pretty accurate. Okay. Um but so definitely I will ultimately read Salem's Lot. Uh, it wasn't one of the Stephen King books that my parents had on their bookshelf as a child. So why when I was eight, I read Pet Cemetery, and uh, oh, <laughs> I would read basically anything that was there. So it was just that it wasn't there because I would have read it if it was. Um, but I also definitely would have picked up this book because I do like spooky supernatural stories. I also read this pretty significantly as a metaphor for being gay. Oh, entirely, um, yes. So that, too, would be, you know, something that I also would have, I would, would identify with. Um, and, you know, if my viewings of the movie Nightbreed have taught me anything... Being gay in Canada was no picnic. Um, a, <laughs> yeah, I know the book takes place now. That this book carried through, um, and I think it's really strong on that point. Um, and I do appreciate that while the vampires are certainly horrifying, the book makes clear on several occasions that the horrors that people inflict upon each other are the actual horrifying thing. Yes, I is I trying to I'm, I'm looking at his goodreads page now i i 
feel like this is maybe one of two books he wrote, maybe. It seems like he's more of an editor and a journalist than an actual Right. He was a Fangoria correspondent. And Mm -hmm. I had seen that he had done um, a lot lot of gay-themed horror fiction short stories as well. So I was expecting queer horror when I went into it. Um, Yeah, definitely. But, you know, my ex-girlfriend didn't show up, so that was good. You know, that (laughs) That particular queer horror didn't show up. (laughs) Um, so just to give a quick summary of this book I I lifted this off of Goodreads uh, because I was lazy tonight Um, so the summary from Goodreads says welcome to Pears Landing population 1528 and shrinking the year is 1972 widowed Christina Parr her daughter Morgan and her brother-in-law Jeremy have returned to the remote northern Ontario mining town of Pears Landing, the place from which Christina fled before Morgan was born seeking refuge. Dr. Billy Lightning has also returned in search for answers to the mystery of his father's brutal murder. All will find some version of what they seek and more, built on the site of a decimated 17th century Jesuit mission to the, oh god... Ojibwa? You got it. All right. Uh, Pars Landing is a town with secrets of its own buried in the caves around Bradley Lake. A 300-year-old vampire is slumbering there, calling out to the insane and the murderous for centuries, begging for release, an invitation that has finally been answered. One man is following that voice, cutting a murderous swath across the country, bent on terrible resurrection of the ancient horror, plunging the town and all of its people into an endless night. I think that's actually a fairly decent summary without giving anything away. Um, Lets you know what you're in for. Yeah. Uh, I didn't read the summary prior to... I I typically don't before starting the book. Um, So it kind of jumped right into the vampirism and then that went away really quickly. Um, so family drama for a little while, which, which it's only yeah. that, that is, the only drawback for me is I felt that the character of, of Adeline was a little too over the top. I, she, yeah. She, she, oh, she, she was cartoon. Yeah. She had this like Cruella de Vil sort of feel. Yeah. I, I sort of felt a little yeah. bit of Alexis Carrington, a, a little bit of, of, uh, mommy dearest. Just she's, she's almost comically rotten. And, and to, to the point where it almost, it almost takes you out of the story. It did for me in a couple places because, you know, she'd start harping on something and it would come off like, oh no, this woman is legitimately insane. This isn't just like, this isn't just sort of this familial evil. This is, she's actually batshit. And I, I didn't, I don't know. It took me like every time she would be over the top, it did take me out of it a little bit and then I don't know if it's getting too far ahead but I'm uh, like at one point I feel like they try to redeem her a little bit and I'm like nope nope that ship is sailed like yeah yeah they try to what make it come off that uh she is oppressed kind of in a way or like this is not or that she'd been almost kind of a result she'd been disappointed in in a love affair 
And I was like, oh, right. you know what? I do not care about whether this lady had a satisfying romantic life. <laughs> and who it was with. Exactly. I mean, it's definitely interesting. But at the same time, like, right. you know, the, 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 the whole, like, oh, small world sort of thing. But, uh, I mean, that's, and that's getting ahead. But there, that was just one part where I was like, oh, okay. No, let's just. Was he, you the, the human form of that kind of small town mentality where where they find people who are different you know coded differently you've got her son who is gay and she basically sent him to a mental hospital and then you've got her other son who was i guess sort of a free spirit who who runs off to uh was he supposed to run off to the u.s or was it just in toronto they ran off to just toronto just toronto um, okay just with toronto, his yeah. teenage you know he was a teenager too at the time but like his his pregnant girlfriend and and just you know and and again also to keep calling back to Salem's Lot also that takes place in a very small isolated town people tend to view outsiders very suspiciously very you with with with, you initial hostility you know as also exhibited in the character Billy Lightning who is Native American and and just he's a, and he's a he's a professor, but everybody still kind of looks at him like you know they just stepped in dog shit down the sidewalk. And and again, it's <laughs> it's again it's almost comical because you know, you know, who the hell are these people to be judging this guy because he's Native American? And then you figure, yeah, nineteen seventy two, that was you know. I mean, I, I not yeah. not that things not that things have changed much, regrettably, but but you can definitely see people who have a, an inflated sense of their own worth because they're in this little in this little town of their own their own making, and they're all they're very inclusive, and it doesn't matter what kind of would you know, what your credentials are. If we don't know you, you ain't shit. Right, exactly. and the treatment of native americans in the you know early settlers years of um canada's become such a prominent theme in the novel too that billy lightning becomes a a symbol for all of that everything that's gone on right. in the centuries before um but every time he you know smacked somebody down verbally i was always pretty excited <laughs> he was he was he was yeah. a really good character yeah he definitely came prepared i uh um, I don't know. I am someone that always looks at Canada in a very rose-colored glasses kind of light. So it was nice to have a novel where you get a very not negative portrayal of Canada, but just like, oh yeah, Canada has problems. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and as someone who I didn't grow up in this small of a town, but I am from a small town. Um, it did feel over the top at times, especially with a grandmother, but um, at the same time, like, no, I get that discomfort still when I go home and it's like, yes, I can wear plaid, but my plaid's more expensive than your plaid and not even like intentionally. It's just like, it's not from Walmart. And thus I feel like you are staring at me. So the vibe of small town 2000-ish, you know, not the same as 1970, but I still feel it. So I, I very much appreciated the small town horror vibe and the nice reminder that I got out. So I also <laughs> felt that with the character of Elliot, that he definitely represents the the uh, you know the, the the football player who who everybody knows the one guy who who went they went to school with and he becomes a cop. 
And and I feel that that character, the the writer was much more restrained with that character than than he could have been. You know, particularly when you yes. uh, when you compare it to to Adeline, the grandmother. I mean, I was bracing myself for there for there to be a gay bashing incident with with Jeremy, but I mean, it, it definitely yeah. there was definitely a threat of it. But then you find out that you know they that he and Elliot when they were young had had you know, had an experience together. And that Elliot was not disgusted by it, but kind of ashamed and not really understanding how he felt. And, you know, as a lot of, let's face it, a lot of repressed gay men do, he became hyper-masculine and, you know, again, he became a cop, which, what, what is more hyper-masculine than that? And picking <laughs> up, you know, lady bartenders and just kind of being the town swinging dick and all. But, you know, the minute his, his you know, former, you know, one-time-only male lover comes to town, he's suddenly quaking in his boots again. And, and I thought that was an interesting... Rather than make him aggressive, he made him scared of him, which I I found that to be a, a kind of unique portrayal of what could have been a stereotype. Yeah, I was oh, glad yeah. it didn't go down there. Right. Route. Well, Elliot, yeah. Elliot, to me, appeared to be, like, the quintessential basic bro, except he also happened to be gay. So he represented what happens if you don't get out of that town and you really and you really really yeah. needed to because he was a, a a gay kid who grew up to be a gay man who was in literally like a matryoshka doll of closets yeah and the i mean i didn't care for elliot i i, I hate that i kind of was not rooting for him to have a happy ending because oh yeah um, he was a jack if his like, treatments um but there is a portion that talks about how his dad, you know, beat the shit out of him after this happened because Jeremy's mom threatened him or threatened, you know, his job, his life, all of that. So uh, not a happy life at all because ultimately he becomes a vampire. So all the way around kind of um, shit luck. Um yeah, you know, I have to. I'm trying to wonder now because I, I read the book maybe about two months ago. I don't think they actually use the word vampire to to at least to address what these creatures are. I mean, the 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 other young child character Finn, who I guess is just to be like eleven or twelve, he talks about vampires mm-hmm. and is and is interested, very interested in vampire lore and comic books. But I don't know that anybody ever actually addresses. I mean, they obviously are, but but. I find it. Uh, well, everybody else goes with yeah. When well, yeah. no, they 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 do call them vampires. Um, the 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 novel opens with um the introduction of That's Richard true. Wheel saying like the vampire did this, and it was confusing to me because um and then later on like once Finn tells everyone like yes these are vampires um that um M- Morgan um the uh, the daughter of Christina who's come back to town um you know they all pretty they they hop onto the vampire uh you know terminology but at the same time like they're they're presenting this was actually a little confusing to me um because Wendigo is very much its own specific um Algonquin lore and so they were talking about vampire and then they then they mentioned Wendigo enough that I thought, well, this is pretty clearly about Wendigos, not 
vampires. So is it a vampire novel? But then every time a vampire showed up, they were doing something very, very classic, um, classically vampirish. Like, you know, one of them shows up and needs to be invited in. Um, uh, Elliot, when he becomes a vampire, is burned by a St. Christopher's medal. Um, there's mm -hmm. at least one other one that, uh, in addition to, like, biting people's throats and drinking their blood, um, but that also, like, you, you, you can attribute that to the Wendigo lore as well, except for that's a little bit more about cannibalism and eating flesh as well as blood. Um, so, yeah. but I, and I wondered if that was deliberate on the part of the author, because all of the vampire actions were so, oh, and holy water, like, works. Mm -hmm. All of them were so classically vampire that it really heightened my my idea that it wasn't about vampires. Like, vampires were a, a, a metaphor for everything else. Like, you know, he didn't need to, he didn't need to alter vampire lore, change anything, because it all... Um, it all served his own purpose of illustrating a supernatural horror juxtaposed with actual real horrors in terms of people treating each other horribly. Yeah, I kind of took it to be whoever was talking about it, um, who kind of blamed where the evil came from. Like, if they thought it was coming from the fact that it was a Native American settlement long before they went with the Wendigo versus Vampire. Um, but yeah, outside of really towards the end, it, it did always feel more Vampire than Wendigo. Right. I totally forgot that Wendigo is all about cannibalism, basically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's and it's honestly <laughs> almost, a, well, it's not almost as prevalent in popular culture as vampires, but it's pretty, I mean, there's been Wendigos in a yeah. ton of... Um, uh, books and movie and uh, movies and TV. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I really wanted to play Until Dawn again, um, which has a very good Wendigo storyline in it. If you haven't played it before, um, we haven't. Not I vampires. Haven't, I uh, we haven't finished it, but it's totally worth uh, a playthrough once or twice to see if you can save everybody. Um, but um, additionally, I mean, I also viewed the. Uh, I again, I don't know if we're getting ahead of things, but I also viewed the in the source documents in terms of how the how everything began how the vampires were uh were created um and how they differed from wendigo i viewed that as um another example that the author was using in to explain how the jesuit priests had treated the indigenous people horribly um because in the source documents when they're talking about um father de Céligny, um he he is yeah. essentially just a supernatural smallpox blanket because oh that's perfect he, that's exactly that's exactly it that is yeah because right. he, he said you know he says at the end that the the he brought it was in his blood he brought the vampire sickness i don't even you know the the the, the you know sickness works the taste yeah. for blood he brought it over from <laughs> france um and and the the 
Native Americans had already had their own idea of Wendigo as uh, as a as a myth or lore or legend. Um, so they just ascribed this new behavior to that, but it was something something new. So I have I have mixed feelings about that because that almost seemed like an erasure, uh, a further erasure of the indigenous people's culture by being like, oh, well, you thought point. it was Wendigos, but no, it's vampires and it's from France. You get, <laughs> you get cheese and bread and vampires. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about the document at the end. I, uh, I, I loved the story. I loved the ending of the story. And then I was like, I'm at 85% of the book. What's happening next? And it's this entire yeah document on how this all started. And I mean, I liked it. I read it. I don't see the need for it. A bit of a curious decision. Um, but also, yeah. I feel that if you put it at the beginning, he might have lost the reader's interest because it's it's pretty it's right. it's pretty dry it's in in up until up until you know, the, the, so. the middle towards the end. It's it's very dry in comparison to the the main story itself, which opens with basically a guy getting a guy killing a bunch of people on <laughs> on a bus. Right, and other than that, like I I wondered if maybe it could have been. Um, uh, you know, interspersed throughout the way, yeah. like, um, ca- like in Carrie, like source documents are sprinkled yeah, in the action. But I think the pace, I mean, the pacing felt so deliberate in the way he um, introduced people, um, even in the beginning, the way he introduced um, the vampire, um, the, the Richard Wheel, the Richard the, Wheel, right, the graduate student who's going to wake up this ancient terror because. The, the ancient terror is calling out to him. Um, so is he actually a vampire or is he just crazy? I mean, obviously he is crazy, but... Um, he's just crazy at that point and he becomes a vampire. Yeah, I think he's like, okay. a, like a Renfield type initially. Okay. So because they introduced him as a vampire, but it didn't seem that he became one until he let out the spirit. So just making sure I was on the same page. <laughs> and I think that the... Um, the first person that he meets on the bus, Jordan, the boy that mm-hmm. um, has ha- ran away from home and is running back. Um, I had this sense of, why Why did we go through this entire backstory and then you just killed him? Yes. But at yeah. the same time, it gave you a sense of, of significance to what Richard Re- Wheel was doing, that he wasn't just messing around and he wasn't just crazy. Like, he was actually dangerous. So... Mm-hmm. And it also it also kind of set up that whole like the 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 the, the linked na- the connected nature of spirits um, that the book yeah, latches especially... onto. Two up for you know people characters in this in this book that you don't expect would die they're gonna die <laughs> and it's you know there's and, right and, 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 yes. everything <laughs> like I mean nobody's off limits and I appreciated that. Yes, having to cross his name out pretty quickly in my notes of like, okay, well, you weren't important. Good to know. <laughs> something terrible might happen to them. Yeah, it raised the stakes of both care about you know investing in characters and um, and and caring about them. So I, I at first I was like, wait, what? And then I then I thought, okay, no, no, <laughs> clever you, Michael Rowe. 
Yeah, I really also liked how his view of death um, and the the moment right before he died, you know, he gets a clarity of like, this is a kid that ran away from an abusive house um, to kind of an abusive apartment and everything. And, and he gets to see what happens with his mom and, you know, the friends that he's made and kind of like a uh, where they're going to be in the future. And even though it's kind of a nice wrap up of their lives it's still also not perfect because he talks about how his mom um ends up leaving his dad and finds a you know new husband but still also at the same time kind of misses the manual manliness of her first husband and but it, i like knowing that you go into your last moment kind of knowing everything's okay um well times to to surprisingly touching effect like i know megan you said you were pretty uh torn up by by the the, the yes, death of finn's uh, dog which is which yeah which i is, almost yeah that's a surprise yeah, that, was, that was rough yeah i mean the yeah. dog was you know sentient and aware enough to to you know be aware of the idea of sacrificing herself which you know that you know she yes. doesn't want to hurt she knows she's going to hurt him and she knows the only way that she can stop herself from hurting him is to basically allow herself to to die. And it's a really it's a shockingly tragic scene. Yeah, and it's not, don't read it on a subway. I just, like, I think I scared the poor person sitting next to me as I was bawling at this dog's death, which I apparently highlighted, I came to find out a few minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> as I was going through my notes, I was like, oh, I have the scene. No, I'm not going to read it. But it was, it's, it's traumatic. It is. I mean, I... Yeah scene written from the point of view of an animal would be kind of a little hokey and and he does it very well it's very it's very effective and that's one of the first instances that too that he he lets you lets you glimpse that even after um a, a being has been turned to a vampire they're retaining free will um for at least a, for at least a portion of time um so it's yeah. I wonder if it's like a you've been bit, but you haven't bit anybody yet kind of time frame, or if there's like a twenty four hours. Um, I don't know. Do we ever get someone who transitions? Person? I mean, some some of the characters seem like they really fell into it quickly, and and I'm and I know that that uh, one of the aspects in my story is just some some people kind of it it on it triggers something negative in their in their in their unconscious and it makes them more violent than another person would be i'm not saying that's what he's doing but but i think that it's just kind of you know it may depend i don't think there's any sort of science to it it just depends on on the person and when it happens and how long yeah and he doesn't really spend any amount of time trying to explain that in any way because it's so tangential to the the story because it does appear to be more about the um, the relationships that the people or animals that have been turned into vampires had with the, the, the people who are left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, and that was another thing that I noticed too, that uh, when people are lured to the vampire, whatever is coming, whatever the spirit is coming to get them, it's always, it always seems to be promising something that they want. Um you know, like Donna, the bartender, who I think is one of the first people that we see actually get get right. attacked, is lured with the promise of, like, she feels loved 
finally. And that's all she's wanted is to feel loved. Um, Elliot pops a boner for a woman. Like, and then... then, The biggest, best boner that he wishes that Elliot was there to see, to prove that he is not gay. Or Jeremy, like... uh, Oh, Jeremy, Jeremy, yeah, sorry. Because definitely, because he was finally, and I am air quoting, normal. Um, Oh, God, And, you know, that, and so, I don't remember, like, so Finn's dad also... Oh, actually, you know what? Finn's dad, like, just feels sad that he won't see his family again. So you kind of get the sense that, like, he's sorted. He has what he wants. There's no, like, aching need. Yeah, he... And he... I was kind of surprised he got changed because it sounded like he just got decimated when uh, I read it originally. It sounded like he just kind of got destroyed rather than... uh, um, and he was looking for his dog and died within, like, feet of where she was right, or something right. like that. So That was um, also sad. <laughs> yeah. And what Adeline sees her... Adeline's... Former lover. Yeah. Who... Father, right? Yeah. Which oh, I God, thought was... Yes. That was a little... Kind yeah. of a little cheesy, but, you know. I, I, I'll allow yeah, it. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I was fine with that. Like, because it... it I don't know. It, it created a link between her and Billy Lightning, but she invites Billy Lightning over for lunch or something and really, really ramps up the, the ice queen behavior yeah. <laughs> during that. Yeah. Jellied eel is something that I never want to try. It just sounds absolutely disgusting. And reading the scenes of her eating it, no, still not something I want to try. Um, you think about how you know, fussy and proper she is. And then what she does to a character that I'm, I'm not going to name because I don't want to spoil this for people is just so <laughs> off the wall and holy shit, she did what to this character? It's, it's another thing that I have highlighted that I was like, oh yeah, that's right, that happened. I did not yeah. make that up. I, I want to leave that for the <laughs> listeners to, to, you know, decide to, to read for themselves. It's a pretty shocking scene. <laughs> yeah, we've already kind of given away one spoiler that, uh, uh, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming from the moment the dog went missing. And I tried so hard to be like, please let me just like, this can't be a book where the dog dies. But it had to. It is completely for effect. And oh my God, yes, the dog dies in this book. Just be aware. <laughs> You're asking if the dog died. Yes, the dog dies. Yeah. Dog and dies, in terms yes. of other like kind of like spoiler alerts or maybe just content warnings, I found the gay conversion therapy description to be oh god yeah super rough. I like I got to that yeah. point and it's pretty early on in the book and I thought oh hey I would have liked to have known this was coming. Um, yeah, Poor and Jerry. that's why I don't think there were any other like gay bashing uh, uh, sort of scenes afterwards. No, I think the the author felt that you know and he had, yeah. he had been. I mean, you know, one thing that I I don't enjoy in 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 the story or in a movie is a character who just seems to get so much relentless shit piled on them. And it's like, come on, you know, spread it around a little bit, you know what I mean? I mean, right. you don't need one right. character in a story to, to do all the suffering for everybody. Right. And I... No, there's definitely yeah. enough to go around. <laughs> and I did sort of think that, like, uh, even while Elliot was a total jerk most of the time, I understood that he had been in his own private hell for 15 years mm. and probably longer because 
so you know i still had a little bit of sympathy for him but he's just so and i understand why he does it because he's picking out someone else he 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 really like rails at uh billy lightning a lot um and specifically is like who is this who is this native american like how dare he think he's better than me and i get that he's doing that because he himself like also feels like an outsider um but it was just (laughs) it just really really turned me off on that character and when he finally got his face bit off i was like good for you yeah (laughs) yeah i was not disappointed when he uh he died or became a vampire i guess he does actually die Um, too though like and that's and that you know the the like you said the the vampire science of things doesn't necessarily like warrant too close an eye because it's it is very much like you know as soon as finn introduces his tomb of dracula uh, and i really enjoyed his um the the little boy's like love for his comic books and his his writing to marvel to see if he could get a (laughs) that was so cute i I thought that was really cute um yeah. But, like, as soon as he introduced that, it was like, okay, well, we're back to vampires, and good, we have our character <laughs> that's going to tell everyone, hey, it's vampires. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it did cleave, so, like, the vampires themselves cleave so closely to the traditional pop culture view of vampires that I, I didn't really, like, question anything else that they did. It all seemed totally reasonable. Yeah. The only criticism that I've really seen about this book is how much it clings to the Dracula legend rather than um, kind of creating his own vampires, which I don't see that as a bad thing because there's so much else going on in this. Um, I, but I also saw yeah. that as deliberate because I, I, I really thought his point wasn't like, hey, there are vampires. Oh, let's investigate the vampires. It's like, let's remember that even if there weren't vampires, this town would this also town be sucks. horrible. Like, it would be horrible anyway. Yeah, so, and, and then, that, so then you kind of go into a little bit like the, uh, like, like Derry, and, and again, going to the Stephen King mythos, where it's not, a, it's not a thing that comes into the town, it's a problem with the town itself. It's just, you know, right. there's just something in the soil, in the bedrock of the town that's just so <laughs> dark and evil that it's not that this thing came to the town and made it evil, it's that evil drew this thing to the town. Right. right. If something's come back wrong, then some things just start wrong. Yeah. I mean, even Finn's mom, who is, you know, probably one of the nicest characters in the entire book, when when she finds out that Morgan is Christina's daughter, her fr- first thought is like, oh, that whore. It's like, I get it. She got pregnant as a teenager. They ran away. And like instantly his mom's like, oh, that's just that. That's not fair of me. It's because, you know, is it Jake? I think it's the... Jack. the Jack uh, Parr. Jack. Um, Jack was such a hottie, I guess, that, like, everybody 15 years later is still carrying a torch for him. But, um, like, the, the treatment of Christina kind of drove me nuts. Like, everybody thought so poorly of her. I, I guess you have to um, look at it in terms of, of the time period. I mean, I was born I was born in 1972. True. And, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was, you know, the caveman era. But, but certainly, certainly <laughs> in, in a small town, a... a, a teenage mother probably i don't know that she would be like even you know 15 years later people are still you know looking down their nose at her but i don't think she would necessarily be you welcomed with loving arms either 
No, I agree. I don't think she would be welcome with loving arms, but it's almost. And I think part of, I yeah. think part of that is also steeped in envy that she got out. That's true too. And she got out with essentially the town's perfect son slash. He was also yeah. nice and, you know, was also incredibly handsome right. and, you know, just kind of, you know, Prince Charming basically. And who was she? She was some, you know, she was yes. you know, from the wrong side of the tracks. You know, I don't know how that would right. have to be a pretty you know small track considering how small the town is, but you know. Yeah, right. there was no mention of but them even having a, track. a railroad. Um. <laughs> no, it was so out there that what it was like three hours from the diner that they stopped at that was not in Ottawa. I mean, it's it is out did a there. Great job in just emphasizing just how isolated they were. It was it was very very. Yes. Uh, uh, evocative just how they were talking there's like a scene i think when they're driving into town where they talk about how how strange the light is because they're just they're not used mm-hmm. they're used to to city lights and and as you would you know you both live in and i do too we both live in we all live in major cities if you've come from a small town and you go back home after after visiting after living in a city for a couple of years the first thing is holy shit it's so dark <laughs> it's yeah so and many it, it's stars. a little it's kind of beautiful and a little unnerving at the same time there's also an element too of the pars in pars landing are basically royalty there the billy lightning calls their house on a number of occasions a norman chateau so it really really <laughs> amps the idea that like you no know, these these are the people that lord over the entire town and so that explains Adeline's co- constant, oh, yeah. She's yeah, constant slut shaming of Christina, um, but it also indicates too, like how much the rest of the town is like, no, like you must be like a person with a death wish or a bad person to have gone after this family and done this. So, like, I think it is very much. I don't know if that's a that's not a Small reason, but it's town. yeah. I've ne- and I've never yeah. really lived in a teeny tiny town. So I, know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it can. It so I'm from small town Arkansas, but it's still. It's at least five digits in the number. I, I but yeah, like those people can hold a grudge, um, which occasionally I have to remind myself, like I'm not that kind of person anymore. Um, but it is, I, I get it, and I can see it, and I guess probably just because. I haven't gone back in so long. It kind of in my mind is not the rose glasses aren't on, but it, at the same time, I'm like, surely it cannot be this bad. And, uh, it's cool in a, in a, a small town of less than 3000 people in, 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 oh, in New Jersey. And I was just down there this past weekend and yeah, it's everybody knows each other, but it's, it's to me, that's not such a great thing because everybody knows your business and yes. and there is you know, a lot of times where you know you have people who were friends when they were in high school, they're friends thirty years later, and their kids are all friends. But if, if you were a snob in high school, you raise your kids to be snobs, and it's just it's very cyclical. And mm-hmm. definitely, I mean, I I kind of cringe every time I go visit that I'm going to run into somebody that I didn't like in high school because I don't expect that suddenly everything's going to be all forgiven again. I am certain that we're just going to revert right back into those same roles <laughs> as as we did, you know, 25, 26 years ago. 
And it's yeah, it's definitely a, a climate where if you if you want to get out, you're perceived as thinking that you're better than everybody else, and you will get smacked down for that. Yes, you are definitely not better just because you got out. Um, Morgan seems kind of normal though to go from such a like it doesn't seem to affect her to go from Toronto, which is is it not the biggest city in Canada? If not, it's one of them. Um, sorry, Canadians. It's pretty big. But, <laughs> uh, to this small town, and she's just kind of chill about everything. Um, I think that's meant to be an indication that her parents have raised her well to be self-assured yeah. and easygoing. And, you know, I think she also thinks that this is a temporary sort of situation. So True. she's like, yep, yeah, these, like, I get it, these... The people in this town don't really know what they're missing, or they are in a small town, so they don't mean to be like this. And I think she right. also early on gets a sense of just how terrified everyone is of her grandmother. Yeah, when she meets the principal, who basically says, like, if anybody's mean, let me know. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, yes, and please tell your grandmother we had this talk. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. The only complaint that I kind of had with the book was kind of how Finn and Morgan were written. And occasionally it, they see, cause Morgan's 15 and Finn is supposed to be 12. And it was just like, if you had bumped him up, Morgan's actually probably okay. Finn doesn't come across as a normal 12 year old. And yes, of course it is in the book that he's not a normal boy, you know, that he likes different things and blah, 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 blah. But he is almost too mature for his age in his thought process. Interestingly, when the when the dog disappears, he kind of reverts into calling his parents mommy yes. and daddy and he like becomes hysterical and and you know, he he very much re- reverts into he struck me very much as an as a typical only child and and you know, I, th- I think I that's that. something that you know why he and Morgan hit it off even though she was a little bit older than him in that he, you know, was you you know very you know self-assured he was more or less confident in who he was even though he was kind of you know nerdy and 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 a, and a loner but then like the minute something horrible happens he just kind of really revert he becomes very childish and very clinging to his parents and i i found it i i found that they, they made them them different in age to be an interesting choice but uh, I, I thought it was I thought it was okay with 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 he, he seemed like a, a typical twelve year old to me again an only child because they're mostly around adults they they tend to you know, talk more like adults sometimes to an obnoxious yeah, I can sometimes see that. to an obnoxious level <laughs> um, but yeah I, I thought that was okay yeah I guess I could see that I they my brother and sister are thirteen and and don't act like this at all but they also have each other and. Um, I guess friends because Finn didn't even have friends really, so I guess he kind of lives in his books. So I could see that, that can age you being the case. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, we we kind of get a sense of resolve from everybody um, except for Billy Lightning. I kind of want to talk about what happened with him um, because not to give too many spoilers, I guess he's the hero at the end of the day. Um, you know, I figured we would wait a bit to skip to the to get to the ending 
because I feel that the ending may be polarizing with people because it, it doesn't yes. actually end, which is the, it, it's very much, I don't, I don't even know if you would say it's ambiguous. It's just, it doesn't end. It, it, it you, you, know, a couple of the characters escape and one stays behind to, to, to you know, presumably take out the rest of the vampires and we don't know what happens to them, which I, I found that, I found that right. to be a, a, you know, extremely unusual way to, 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 and I mean, it seems like he was setting it up for a series, but I don't think there were any, there, there have been any other books since then. This book was written in 2011, I believe. Yeah. Um, well, we kind of get a sense of, um, Morgan and Christina's end through another character's eyes. Right. Um, so, but, uh, right. So, and they set Billy Lightning up as, a sacrificial sort of hero. So it, did he, I guess, to go into spoilers, because I, I can't, I, I have to kind of get your opinion because I'm so curious. He got bit, right? Like, yeah, they, he became a vampire. Morgan was able to kind of be like, we don't trust him because he. Vampire. I know. I know. Well, I know Finn got bit. Right. And, yes. and he he managed to maintain his humanity long enough to say you know say goodbye and something that kind of implied that he and Morgan may have had sex. Oh yeah, they yeah, totally had sex. which I would, yeah. which is weird because he's which again was a little weird, but yeah, that wasn't it levels of teenage unnecessary, um, you know, mm-hmm. interactions. But it was still it, it it was still a little like I don't know about this. Like, is this? Uh, I feel. I feel at like, fifteen, I wouldn't have wanted to sleep with a twelve-year-old. No, I, I do feel like you know, there are better ways for young people, and then, and I'm going to sound like an old prude, but I, I feel like there, there are. <laughs> you could, if you think a little longer, there are better ways for young people to to have a meaningful moment, or or a yeah. bonding moment than just having sex with each other, which is that just seems to be kind just, of a little bit of a lazy choice. Yeah, a good first kiss is fine. <laughs> yeah, if you if you have to go a physical yeah. route, but I mean, like I don't, I don't. It was very kids, clear. I don't think kids that age would have, uh, in 1972 particularly, wouldn't have uh, jumped to like, oh, you're a vampire now. Let's no. bang first. Like that. <laughs> exactly. Like before you go and die. Yeah, that was a little. That was a bit of a jarring choice. On yeah, his part. I'll, I'll have I'll have to admit that. Yeah. Yeah, there were a couple of times where I was like, this is very clearly written by a man. An adult man. (laughs) An adult man. (laughs) And I need to take a step back for a second to kind of, okay, we're good. And going back into the book. And that was definitely one of the moments. I think Um, that if Finn had been the same age as Morgan, I mean, 15... It wouldn't have been as weird. still kind of a little young. It's still young. Yeah, Yeah. particularly if you 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 really don't know each other all that well and, and... but, you know, the fact that he's 12 and she's 15, I'm like, mm, I, yeah. I'm going to pretend there's, I'm going to pretend they're just sitting here holding hands. <laughs> yes. right. There was a good first kiss. They snuggled. Exactly. exactly. And plus the and, description uh, of like, you know, them like on the, basically in someone's rec room too, was just a little bit yes. like, all right, I don't need this. I'm all set. Like, yeah, no, it could have. <laughs> like, it, it, it didn't. I've spent a lot of time, you know, finding metaphors and analogies and and, <laughs> and literary devices in the book. This one, I'm just like, mm, nope. <laughs> this could have done with an edit. Thanks, friend. No. It <laughs> almost cheapens the sacrifice, and yeah, um, 
supposed to come away though well at least he didn't die a virgin which you know who yes like he was 12 years like, old God. <laughs> I, I i was not invested in whether or not this kid lost his virginity no. or not no i like the the idea that he knew she would always think of him fondly if not a little sad and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, but she would you know be fine but you yeah, know i'm sorry i just there's no valid reason that makes me go yeah i'm okay that they had yeah. sex like I, like like i i was just like yeah there was no reason to take this particular page out of stephen mm-hmm. king like <laughs> no nope. <laughs> um but they do and that's fine and um i guess billy so the we last we see him at one point at the burned down hockey rink of of yes. the, the vampires all basically <laughs> hiding out hiding out in an abandoned hockey arena. I just it love need, that because where else are they going to go? It's it needs a, only like a Tim Horton stand or the, something. The, that's, well. such a, that's such a great touch. Every now and then, like um, they mention, like they mention Finn's father's curling trophies. <laughs> yes, like, yes. All right, Canada. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's fighting with them and pulls out the the shovel or pipe or whatever and Richard's like oh you shouldn't have done that and then slash cut we're now at someone else's scene so and then he later whether or not Billy it's... Billy was in was her the... could he go into the hotel room without being asked um I don't know that he did but the source documents make explicit that he had been turned. Okay. Because Morgan feels weird about him, and also, like, at one point, Christina thinks that she can see his eyes glow in the dark. Yeah. And then when you read the source documents, when the Jesuit priest is talking about coming um, coming into, like, a clearing of the forest and seeing, like, the kids who are very clearly vampires, their eyes also glow in the dark. So I okay. think that the source documents make clear that Billy Lightning was was turned, was still acting with his own agency. I think they also mentioned, too, that he had burned the... He says he did. Um, I don't know if I bought that necessarily. Um, I don't know. I, I, I find that he was still ambiguous as to... I, I know he wanted Christina to get out I, and Morgan to get out and had, what, $700,000 or something in his truck... There was he had like, like $700. Of, oh, was it 700 <laughs> I swear I read 1000 And I was like, um, how do you get all this Adeline, money? Anyways. Adeline had $1,000 that Jeremy and Christina That's were right. talking about stealing. That's right. What happened to that money? Um, It just disappeared. Right yeah, before I mean, I think, I think, something else happened. So. Yeah, yeah, I think right before everything got really fucking Yeah, weird. before I was like, holy shit, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, $700 makes more sense, and I probably should have reread it instead of just being like, okay, <laughs> you had a lot of money in your truck. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It Can you burn down a building that's already been burned down? So Structure left if, uh, right. if, they, were able to, if they were able to hide in it. Right. Never hurts to try. That's so perfect. It's true. Um, I don't know. I like him being the hero... At the end of the day, you could see it almost on a screen. And at least within their lifetime, because of the way that they, you know, they could see in it, at least within their lifetime, 
vampires didn't appear to have come after them again. So yeah, the, yeah, I mean, it, it's Christina and Morgan get yeah, away. It's closure enough because then when you read the source documents at the end, you realize that this is something that does appear to be a cyclical sort of thing where when the, um, Although there was one part where I was basically screaming at the book, like, no, burn the bones. Don't just, don't just hide them, burn them. Always burn Always. the bones. It's, Salt them, burn them. Supernatural taught us nothing. <laughs> um, so that, like, get a tattoo. I, I think they do give you the sense of, like, this is, this is an ancient horror that keeps on coming back and it is rooted in people being shitty to each other. <laughs> so stop being shitty. <laughs> exactly. Asshole, you'll bring the vampires. Right. Well and I did I did have a I did there was a quote too where Finn is thinking about thinking about his dog but also thinking about the tomb of Dracula where he essentially, you know, the the, the omniscient narrator is like, no depicted horror dot 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 could ever hope to match the awfulness of a real one. And I do think that's, like, entirely a theme of a book of, like, okay, yes, there were vampires. Also, there was genocide. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is a small town that originally was a Native American settlement and doesn't seem like since the 1700s it's calmed down. Right. I I loved this book. This is uh, the first one to get five stars completely from me Ah. um, that I've read. Um, (laughs) Most of them sit at the three. The Anubis Gates got four because it was just so much going on that I, I loved it. Um, but this is the first one that I was like, holy shit, this is not a book I ever would have picked up on my own. And I would have very much regretted it. Um, so thank you, Gina, for that. <laughs> I'm so happy. I, I honestly uh, didn't. I was not sure. I, I went into this blind because I did not know. Uh, how either you felt about horror, and I, I wonder if that one particular scene that we we're, we refused to describe in detail would be would put you <laughs> off of it. Because I was like, I, I, I recommend. I was like, ooh, but that one scene. Well, I'll just hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved it. It's actually kicked off a horror um, train for me. I read The Last Harvest by Kim Liggett, who um, writes small town uh, horror for why. Uh, the YA genre, and it is um, small town Texas um, that six generations ago they sold their soul to the devil, and now devils come to collect. And it was fantastic. And now today I started my best friend's exorcism. Um, oh, which I, I think read that. You've yeah. read, yeah. I was about to say, I think you. That's uh, a good one. You recommended. I read Horror Store last year, so um, very excited to read that one. So, and, and then I eventually have to get off. The, the horror train to read something else but no I love it I vampires have always been such a touchy thing for me because my first interaction with them was um are you afraid of the dark <laughs> and and I'm probably conflating two different nights in my head but um what I believe happened is the night that my sister was born I saw the one where Dracula comes out of the screen and I have been terrified of vampires ever since and I was Three and a half, four years old when that happened. Huh. Um, and then there was like one of those short story collections where the kid is talking and to a vampire or whatever. And so like absolutely the the monster I was most terrified of for like the first 12, 15 years of my life 
were vampires. And then Twilight happened. So, like, <laughs> that kind of ruined everything. I saw Salem's Lot. Despite the fact that I haven't read the book, I saw Salem's Lot at 10. Like, it's one of my dad's favorite movies. So I, I've seen the movie. Um, yeah, the, that movie was not something that I should have seen that young. That young no. um, if, you, if you watch it as an adult, it's like, mm, nah. Oh, yeah, the yeah, wonderful okay. 80s campy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I truly appreciated a, a real vampire story. Um, I also loved it. Um, I do pick up a lot of horror, and I have <laughs> a surprisingly deep bench of vampire media that I've indulged in over the years. But this was a nice, a nice addition. Like as I, I really appreciated the queer voice in it. So yes. Um, that that elevated it to a place that a lot of other vampire media does not get. Though I don't, it is frequently classified as trying to be a part of, or like as a metaphor for, or maybe that was just the college essays that I've read. Um, But uh, yeah, there's no remorse in this vampire. And I love that. As, as I try to differentiate with vampires, these aren't sexy vampires. They're they're <laughs> like they're they're, they're like an, yeah they're they're like they're basically animals. Yeah, like when he is Jordan, I think it was his name, the the kid on the yeah. bus. You know, he wakes up, the entire bus has been eaten, and he's like, "Please don't eat me." And I was really expecting him to be like, "Okay, I'm done, <laughs> we're good." And then no, <laughs> I'm, I'm full. You're good. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm just gonna go off in the night, and and you can deal with the bloodbath. But nope, nope. But yeah, like like the, no like particularly places. the description of Richard Wheel, who who again kind of comes off initially as like a, a a Renfield character. He just be he sounds disgusting. The way they the way that he like he describes his his filthy fingernails and he smells bad, and it's just I basically picture him looking like a killer hobo, basically just just yes. you know just not alluring or, or sexual in any way whatsoever. <laughs> And the the reminder not to ride the Greyhound bus. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and though I haven't read Salem's Lot, um, that particular opening and description of him really made me think of a lot of other Stephen King um, novels and stories. So it was, it was even without having read Salem's Lot, it was striking the right note for me. Influence, so like again, I mentioned uh, Derry or or Castle Rock. Just the whole, you know, mm-hmm. where the, the town itself is cursed, and mm-hmm. I, there's part of that, and and some other aspects. A, a lot, a lot of Stephen King books deal with in terms of isolation, like obviously The Shining, um, even Pet Cemetery to a certain extent. It's, it's mentioned a couple times how way out far they are in the country, and how their only neighbor is is. Judd Crandall and and a lot of his stories deal with people just being kind of more or less just stuck to deal with their situations because they have nowhere else to go and and of course that's you know that's very scary in a in a you know, kind of deep almost primal level just being trapped and it, it right. has that fish out of water element that Pet Cemetery has too even though I mean, Morgan is very much a fish out of water. Christina and Jeremy are fish that are back in water that they really, really didn't enjoy. Um, and uh, and Pet Cemetery, I also thought of Pet Cemetery as well because of the mention of the Wendigo, which is, I believe, the reason that the Pet Cemetery is so 
messed yeah, the, up. The, the, the ground is the, the the ground is is spoiled because of the curse of the Wendigo. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. there's that element so too. I, I do have to ask. Um, so when I started reading this, I didn't realize it was written in 2011. Um, I really thought it was a book from the 70s. Um, am I? I actually haven't read a ton of Stephen King. He is just too wordy for me. I think I talked about this last time. Um, but is it? Am I wrong to feel that this could have been written back in the 70s? Yeah. Or is it just a similar? Kind I don't of think he went too heavy on on setting. You know, when you watch a TV show now, um, and it's it's made in the present, but it takes place there. You know, they, they'll drop a lot of references, and it sounds almost forced. Like I'm like uh, an example I would give you is I'm just about to the end of the second season of Fargo, which mm-hmm. takes place in 1979, and I, I really love the show, except it's a little clumsy in in how it references like Watergate and Richard Nixon, and just it's you know, it's like hey, it's the 70s. And I, I'm not really sure why the author chose to have it take place in 1972, but I think it just, you know, that's when he decided to do it. I, I think it's sort of arbitrary, so he doesn't feel the need to you illustrate that it's the 70s. And yeah, I would say, I mean, I would say it's probably a little more violent than, than on, a, on, a, on, a, on a graphic sense than books that actually were published in the 70s. Like Salem's Lot is... It's scary. It's not particularly violent, I wouldn't say. There's, okay. there's a couple. There's a couple scenes that get a little gruesome, but but not as gruesome as this one does. But yeah, I would say I would okay. say it, it. It's it feels like it feels right. If, that, if there's a better way to put it than that. Yeah, to me as okay. well. It, it like wasn't that. over the top, and it wasn't somewhat like he also I think would have had some element of understanding of the seventies too. You know, uh, I read. Yeah, I would have, I would have I read so. that the author was born in 1962 so i thought like okay at least you, you oh yeah you lived uh, through some of the 70s so some of this is yeah. coming from your probably from your own experience yeah i, I mean he is he is he is gay and 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 i i'm right. sure also in some ways he probably resembled finn when he was a child yeah. you know with the the interest in horror and being a bit of a loner because he is a writer and most writers most writers <laughs> do kind of lead solitary loner childhood so yeah. but yeah i mean he, yeah i could see where he you know, would have lifted some aspects of his own childhood certainly to to you know, give it some sense of, of realism and color yeah maybe like a combination of finn and uh, uh yeah um which kind of get why jeremy came back well he wanted to help and they were they were they were the only really the only family he he had so and they had rescued him too when he left that's true and he certainly wasn't gonna he certainly wasn't gonna throw them back into the lion's den with with you know without him there to help them right god i it jeremy was one of my favorite characters yeah. <laughs> and just like yeah and and what he did for his sister-in-law i mean true they took him in and they were instantly like we get it you're gay we don't care <laughs> like just you got out and we're glad and we'll talk about the rest later <laughs> kind of thing um so i get the return it just broke my heart <laughs> i can't imagine having to go back and almost in the closet i guess because 
his mom wasn't going to let him do anything in the house and held who was there to do anything with in the town. So, um, God, I don't know. I just, poor Jeremy. Yeah. Um, he deserved better than what he got. But, yes. but again, I don't want to give away too much. No, but... <laughs> Even um, in the early going of the book, he deserved better than what he got. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his, he, his entire life, not, he deserves He's it. definitely... I mean, yeah. in, in a book full of tragic characters, he's probably the most tragic. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a quote I highlighted was that uh, then she, being Adeline, went downstairs to greet the adventuress who had stolen and murdered her favorite son, her bastard granddaughter, and her great mistake of a second son. And that's like 13% of the way into the novel and sets up perfectly like, poor Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> um. And she didn't murder her husband. He had a car accident, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Adeline was, like I said, a little over the top. but Oh, very much over the top. Um, so, let's see. We've kind of touched on all the characters or the main ones. Um, outside of, I guess, there was the head cop that kind of was a very almost cliche small town head cop. Okay, but wasn't, 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 having, wasn't having Elliot's bullshit. Yeah, which but I, also which I appreciated. Him kind of a son, like, right? Felt close to him. It was like he let Elliot be the way he was to Billy Lightning, so that he wouldn't have to be, kind of like a once removed. It was like not like that he egged Elliot on because he does tell him to stop, but at the same time, it's like, but I wish I could do it too. Um. He thought he yeah. understood where Elliot was coming from. Like, Elliot was coming at that interaction with Billy Lightning from a totally different perspective. But mm-hmm. the the sheriff or sergeant thought he knew what was motivating it. Right. So, so I guess next would be, uh, what would be your book club drink for this uh, book, Gina? I, I did a little research. I looked up okay. vampire-themed drinks. I didn't find a lot, but I did find one that sounded intriguing. It's it's got a uh, it's got a silly name. Uh, it's called the Bloodberry Martini. If you'll forgive me, very um, nice. I don't know why they called it a martini because there is no gin in it. Um, is there vodka? Yeah, there's vodka in it. It's uh, it's okay. vodka and blood orange juice, which uh, which which sounds pretty good. And it's got uh, strawberries and lemon juice in it, which. Uh, that that sounds pretty interesting. Although when you think about it, though, the the the, the, the vampires in the story—they're not having anything fancy. Right. No. They're, they're they're just they're just you know just drinking you know just just scooping up you know human blood in their hands and just like just like <laughs> licking it off. They're they're not they're not clicking glasses or you know having having anything refined. No, this is for the Adeline uh, vampires. <laughs> she, she'd probably just have like prune juice or something. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. How old was she? Well, yeah, you think about it. So Morgan is supposed to be fifteen. So and her parents were like seventeen. So she's probably 17? in her fifties, which is, okay. you know, it's much younger than I would have. Yeah, thought. actually older than that because Jeremy, when he left, what? Well, I mean, I think they were like seventeen, eighteen, and then Jeremy was eighteen when he left. And he in the intervening time, I think there had only been like six months or so. Yeah. But so yeah, they're they're all approximately like in their thirties. Yeah, so she she and... wouldn't be she would only be in her fifties, but she came up with just, just this pruny, like iron haired oh, old yeah. lady, which which kinda of, I mean even again, even by seventy standards, you know, 
50 or 52 is not that old. No, and, and in my mind, she was old enough that she almost could remember the 1800s <laughs> and almost kind of would have dressed in that sense. <laughs> she but, she uh, kind of comes off she, like... She's just that uptight. She, she comes off a lot like the grandmother in Flowers in the Attic. Just, just yes. very, very stiff and seeing, so seeing totally, evil. Yes, yeah. I had flashbacks to that, uh, to <laughs> Flowers in the Attic, when it was like, well, you can come back, but... Yeah, I'm going to put all these ridiculous standards on you and just let you know that I am watching you and judging every move you make. <laughs> I do have to mention, so she had two servants that we get absolutely no physical description about other than they've just been there forever. Um, unless I'm wrong on remembering the physical description. I don't think so. But I kind of loved that. So it's not implied that they are um, of any minority. Either. Oh, I don't think she would even, I don't think she would dare have, have even, oh, even, no, as, even as a not. servant, I don't think she would dare have, and, a, have and somebody in the home. to be fair, I, I don't think there's any minorities in this town, but No, and, that, that's, still... and that's why everybody just acts like, you know, just boggled yeah. that, that this Native American person would, you know, dare to enter their, their, you know, pristine little <laughs> town when it's like, well, you know, and again, I mean, that's, sadly, that's not an attitude that has changed much, but... Yeah, you go. No, I don't think she would have even even to work for her. She would have had any any non-white person in her home. And I kind of was glad that that was not an added layer to of, make her uh, to make her even worse, <laughs> more racist or anything. <laughs> Just make her a little bit more terrible. We found the way. Uh, well, cool. Anything else you guys want to say about uh, the book? I I think it would make a a good movie. Um, I think that again, if you liked Salem's Lot, you will you will like this because they're very similar in in flavor and in style. Um, you you'll you'll know which scene we were talking about that we would not give away as soon as you get to it. <laughs> I will just tell you that much. But yeah, I mean, I, I if you are one of those people who you know when you think you know vampire, you, you think ah sparkles, you know, teenage girls. No, this this really isn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nothing at all wrong with that. But I mean, if you're looking for something that's kind of you know scarier and gorier and, and darker and you know, not romantic in the slightest, these they're, again these are not romantic vampires. Yeah, check it out. You'll love it. Yeah, yeah I would really like a, a throwback to the '70s kind of feel um, for a horror movie. This would be perfect as a movie. Um, and would be fun to cast from the small pool of Canadian actors. So, uh, Aaron, anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, I agree that it would make a good movie. I think there have been an awful lot of like very good vampire related movies and TV in recent years. Um, and in years <laughs> gone by. Um, and uh, again, Oh, vampire media? I have both vampire <laughs> media and Wendigo media that mm. I'm super on board with. Dude. <laughs> um, everyone should watch Fright Night. Um, okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, um, it is one of the best vampire movies ever featuring... We're talking the original or... Yes. Uh, yeah, the okay. one with uh, William Ragsdale and Amanda Beers and um, <laughs> Roddy McDowell. Rowdy Roddy McDowell. Um, <laughs> now I see. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing. 
Um, <laughs> and I really enjoyed um, What We Do in the Shadows. Which oh, my God. Out. I love that movie okay. so much. It's so, it's so, so good. And um, I, that's why I'm very much looking forward to Thor Ragnarok because it is the same director. And I just loved that so really? much. because Yeah, Taika Waititi. Um, it's... It, it was just, like, it's funny, it's also incredibly poignant at times, uh, so I highly recommend it. Um, on the Wendigo side, I highly recommend <laughs> watching, also on the Canadian Wendigo side, I highly recommend watching the TV series Lost Girl. Um, okay. Which mentions, which is uh, about, uh, which is an exceptionally queer positive um, television show in a lot of ways in a couple ways it's not it's 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 complicated um but they <laughs> mentioned wendigo they mentioned wendigo fay a couple times and i will do literally anything i possibly can to recommend lost girl <laughs> no it is um one that's been on my list i think it's actually it's on netflix yeah right? it's all on netflix yeah. it's all on netflix and yeah, i think there are vampires and... in it too so and it's canadian <laughs> so it ticks every box there you go. <laughs> um, I'll have to definitely give that one a shot. I, I think it's been recommended to me enough between uh, you and James and uh, Ileana that I'm pretty much dumb for not actually having watched it yet. Uh, oh, cool. Well, before I get into where the podcast is going next, um, what are you guys going to be reading next? Right now, I am reading one of my birthday presents. It is Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit. Uh, it's uh, an essay collection on uh, on feminism, on uh, Virginia Woolf. Uh, it's you know, very good stuff. I'm about a little more than than halfway through it. It's it's a little dry and academic in places, uh, but mm -hmm. but I think it is definitely worthwhile reading for uh, for women and for you know, men who have the decency to like women. So I, <laughs> I do uh, I, I do recommend that. So Aaron, what about you? Honestly, I feel like I should uh, read Salem's Lot because <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> clearly it is a gap in my Stephen King um, knowledge. Uh, it, so I've not read that, The Shining, or The Stand. And <laughs> So you've read everything but, like, what, the big three? Yeah, like, I read The Tommyknockers. <laughs> it's, it's me and oh, his wow. editor <laughs> that read The Tommyknockers. <laughs> Nice. Um, but yeah, it's, well, it's super challenging for me, actually. I don't have a commute. I work from home. So uh, like in turn, like reading time for me is, I don't know when literally every electronic device in my apartment <laughs> is dead. And I'm like, well, it's time to read now. <laughs> so, but I need, I need to, I need to be better about that. And so this podcast was great for me. Oh wait, no, I have to read the hunt for red October. I'm going to be on another podcast. Oh, that's right. You're going to be on uh, reread the book. Exactly. Reread re the, the book. I have. Yes. All right. So it's Hunt for Red October, October, then Salem's Lot. How's that? There you go. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, you guys are now done. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've had a blast with both of you. Me too. Uh, so next week, or next week, next episode, I am going to be joined by Don Gildenmeister and uh, Liz Babish. Um, and we are reading Stiff, The Curious Life of Human Cadavers, which is our first nonfiction oh, book. that's a good one. And 
I was gonna say I don't it's been on my to be read list I think based on the cover for like 10 years um so I'm actually really kind of excited to get into it uh Dawn recommended it uh, I think it is actually also up next on her to read list so I'm I'm looking forward to it um and they're both great I don't think they've actually met outside of me forcing them into a google chat so it'll be good um Anything you guys want to plug? Um, I co-host the Kill by Kill podcast with Patrick Hamilton, uh, in which we break down horror movies according to the characters. Uh, as of this recording, we are about halfway through Friday the 13th Part 7, uh, which is can be described as Jason meets Carrie. Um, you can <laughs> just you can find that. Uh, under Kill by Kill and whatever podcast uh, app you of your choosing. Um, I also write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Very cool. Now, is your episode this week the second half of the birthday? It's not. For my, 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 okay. my co-host decided to put another one of the regular episodes in between them because we've been a little bit okay. pressed for time and only just recorded the second half the other day. But that should gotcha. probably be up next week, I believe. Cool. I enjoyed it. It's one now that I need to find. Oh, oh that's so it's, it's, it. You have no idea how you'll find out in the second <laughs> half how wacky this movie gets. That's amazing. Um, and Erin, anything you'd like to plug? Um, my podcast that I do with my partner called Over the Tabletop. Um, we focus on two-player board games. Our most recent episode is um, a discussion of Ophidian 2360, <laughs> um, a futuristic gladiatorial uh, style game, um, which we take the opportunity to play the game and also rave about a television show that we love called Spartacus <laughs> Blood and Sand. Um, and also a really elaborate play-by-play of when my cat bit me. I was going to say, it was quite amusing when uh, you guys are getting ready to start and then Solstice decided that she was joining in this game. <laughs> I honestly just, you know, I didn't edit that out because it was very much like, oh, Oh, she's she's running into the arena. She's <laughs> <laughs> it was great. But and we we I mean, are she's on like in the cover art, so you know. Yes, you know because we 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 like playing board games, but our defining characteristic is that we love our cat. <laughs> Solstice, the best cat ever. Uh, she is a pretty great cat. <laughs> um, but we are we can be found on all of your typical podcast catching things itunes at over the tabletop um, twitter over the tabletop um, facebook that too basically if you google us you'll find us or you will find um, an actual table arranging design firm we're not that very different <laughs> um well for us you can find us on itunes and stitchers iTunes is no longer a thing. I think it's Apple Podcasts now. Uh, <clears throat> or on our website, which is judgingbookcovers.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at JBC Podcast and Instagram at Judging Book Covers Podcast. Um, and if you're completely adverse to social media, the email address is judgingcoverspodcast at gmail.com. And when you can't find me on this podcast and you, for whatever reason, miss my voice, 
Um, I have a weekly podcast that I do with my friend uh, Marilag Angway, where we go through uh, and do a season of retellings of uh, the original fairy tales and fables and their modern retellings. And really, as I sit here and edit, it's just a lot of us giggling over how absolutely ridiculous some of these retellings are. So if you're interested in that, give us a listen. We come out on Tuesdays. So, uh, and outside of that, that's where we're going to be. Um, so thank you guys again. And uh, hope to talk to you again thank soon. You. Thank you. Yeah.